let's go back to the basics. Unix shells. What are they? Why do we use them? I'm Vinam, and you're listening to The Nixers Podcast. So what's a shell? What does it do? Why would we need that? A shell is a program that acts as an intermediary between the user and the operating system or the kernel. It lets you execute commands on a computer. And specifically on Unix, the shell is a command line interface. A prompt that waits for commands entered by the user and it interprets and executes them. And when it's done, it prompts again for a new command. Typically, it stays in this state that we call a REPL, read, evaluate, print loop, or it's also called an interpreter. All that while hiding the details of how it's doing it. But it's not limited to being on the command line. On some other operating system, the shell could be graphical. So that is its primary function, to execute commands, but it offers other services as we'll see. The name and concept of shell itself originates from the Miltix operating system, the Unix predecessor. It was coined by Louis Pouzin in 1964. The name embodies what it's about, putting a fancy shell around the kernel of the operating system for interfacing with its with it without risk. Or taking the term metaphorically, the shell symbolizes authority, speech and hearing, which goes well with its initial usage and miltix. And miltix, the shell worked in tandem with a listener, a listener which, which was another program that job was to take user inputs while the shell processed them afterwards. On Unix, the shell does both, taking inputs and processing them. So what else does it provide? What else does the shell provide? So we said that the shell let the user insert comments. Let's mention that those comments can be in the form of text scripts so that the execution becomes more automated. The shell is a programming language in itself, having everything from variables, loops, or iterations, statements, and condition testing, control structures, everything. More like a specialized, domain-specific, interactive scripting language that implements a model to facilitate interfacing and controlling the operating system. On some other systems, the shell scripts themselves as a language have only been used in startup scripts or automating of essential functions like networking and in fact they're they're never seen by the user themselves. So the shell has some keywords that aren't external programs but built in it. The variables in the shell language can hold the usual data or can contain other comments acting as placeholders. And because the unit of the Unix system is the file, it certainly has file interaction facilities, redirection, file name, wildcarding, piping, and here documents come to mind when you think about it. So redirection of outputs, everybody knows what it is. It's redirecting the output to another place. Wildcarding is used to expand the name of files and match them accordingly, like regular expressions. Piping is used to send the output of one program as an input to another one. Here, docs to create on the fly an input stream 
all of today's shells have those. Yes, there are many shells and that's the minimum that they all provide. Again, the shell executes the commands. Those can be built inside the shell or be the name of an executable on your system. And thus, it has to know where the executables are stored on the system. It has to know about the environment, in quote, it's running on. That's why shells hold some sort of constant variables called environment variables. When the command finishes being executed by the shell, its status is held inside the status environment variable. And the location of the executables variable we mentioned before is stored also in an, in an environment variable called the path. And we did a podcast on environment variables, so you can listen to it. I'll link it in the show notes. The word environment is tied with the shell. It's a filter bubbled word where you execute your comments. Apart from environment variables, the shell can override with its built-in comments the executables that are found on your system. For example, it may have its own version of the PWD comments, which may not reflect the reality. Shells also often build up their environment by reading multiple configuration files at different point in time and in multiple different kind of circumstances. It is environment and the meaning of environment variables of configuration for the system and customization of the shell behavior. And there's a link in the show notes documenting which shells reads which files at which time and which point in time. The key is that those files are often executed by the shell and thus whatever script is there will be activated. Environment also means that things are happening in the shell. Someone is working in an environment. That's why many shells have multitasking in mind, adding features for managing and controlling jobs and running processes. All this to contribute and making the shell a nice working environment. So what does the shell interface looks like? As we've said, the user enters command at the shell prompt, the shell evaluates the commands and makes substitution for variables and aliases by the value they represent and then runs the command. Usually it looks like that. You are presented by the prompt. This can be whatever from one character to many and the prompt can change shape depending on the situation like for instances showing the directory you are currently in. Anyway, so let's say the prompt is a semicolon. Every time you see that semicolon, you know that it's your turn to enter a comment. You type a comment followed by its argument or options, separated by space, and you can add redirection, piping, etc., whatever. Then you press return or enter, and the command line gets processed by the shell. That's the general look of it. The shell will then interpret what you've entered. Maybe it'll start a child process or a detached process as needed. It moves inputs and outputs as defined by piping or redirection. Everything is pipelined and and when the comment is done, the exit status is kept in an environment variable of the shell. And it presents back the semicolon prompt. Now, let's go through some of the history of the Unix shell.
As we've said, the concept of shell originated from the Miltix operating system in 1964. And remember, Miltix was a sort of predecessor, end quotes, to the Unix operating system because the guys working on Unix were also working on the Miltix operating system before it. Unix development itself started around 1969, the same year as the Miltix operating system was released. But then what? It certainly got inspired by the Miltix shell. And the Miltix shell was based on the Runcom program of Louis Poussin. Remember the dude who coined the term shell in 1964. And that's where the RC and the conf configuration files comes from. And it goes without saying that the first shell was written by one of the Unix authors. The Thompson shell, the first Unix shell, was written by Ken Thompson at Bell Labs for the V1 to V6 versions of Unix, starting from 1971 until 1975. It was rudimentary and had the basic features like piping, redirection, simple control structures in the language, go-tos, sequential comments, asynchronous comments and file name wildcarding. For example, globbing was implemented as an external utility. It wasn't present inside the shell. And what the Thompson shell lacked was the ability to script. Its sole purpose was an interactive shell, a comment interpreter to invoke comments and view the results. Today it's not in use anymore, but the source code of the shell can still be found on the internet. So what's next after 1975? Remember that Unix was completely rewritten in C in 1972, and so there was a need, a need for more practicality. Between 1975 and 1977, the Mashi shell added upon the Thompson shell some new features like shell variables, which are precursor to environment variables, a search pass mechanism which would later evolve into the path environment variable, interrupt handlers and more extended control structures. Now after 1977 comes the most well-known and influ influential type of shell that we know today, the Bourne shell created by Stephen, Stephen Bourne at AT&T for the version 7 of Unix. Because remember from version 1 until version 6 of Unix it used the, the Thompson shell. Stephen Bourne was also working on the Algol 68 compiler, which is a programming language, and thus the grammar syntax of the Bourne is very inspired by it. The source of the Bourne shell, even, even though it's, it's, written in, it's written in C, has an Algol 68 flavor. The Bourne shell excelled at scripting, it added what the Thompson shell was missing. The language, the language was way more functional. Apart from the added control flow and support for signal handling, comments substitution using backticks and here docs. However, it lacked the ability to create functions and had another one major drawback. It lacked real interactivity with the user and thus there was a gap for something even better. A guy at the University of Berkeley named Bill Joy started working on a new shell they called the C shell and they inserted several concepts new concepts in it, which were completely brand new at the time. They added job control, aliasing, and made the shell more interactive for the user by adding history and malleability. 
However, they went for a different syntax type, more inspired by the C language, and that's where the name comes from, C shell. And thus, scripts written for the C shells are not compatible with the born shells. Moreover, the interpreter was, let's say, badly implemented and buggy, and there are so many horror stories related to C shells type of, of scripts. And thus, most people stayed with the born shell and instead considered adding the best features of the C shell to the born shell. Some people wanted to fix those bugs and created a new shell called the 10x shell, which was a superset of the C shell. But still, the born shell prevailed. And the next big guy who did in fact incorporate the features of the C shell into a born like shell was David Korn with his corn shell. Corn shell became part of the system 5, but had the drawback of being proprietary, held by the AT&T, and it wasn't until in the recent years that it got released as open source, more precisely in, to, in the year 2000. This all happened in the 1980s, more precisely 1983. Around the same time in 1984 started the Open Software Foundation, which goal was to create an open standard to create Unix operating system, and it was the predecessor to POSIX. And those guys chose the born shell type of syntax as a standard for Unix-like systems, and that dealt the last blow to the C shells. Then you know the story, many others went on, but still the BSD operating system preferred the C type of shells for a historic purpose. The GNU project created its own version, the Born Again Shell Bash, which was adopted by Linux, and that's in 1989. And then a panoply of other shells started appearing anywhere, everywhere, with the expansion of the internet. Nowadays there are many exotic shells, all with different features, but the Born Shell remains the most important and historic shell. So which shell should you use? What are the differences in today's shells? Okay, so there are tons of shells. What are their differences? Why should you even change your default shell? Apart from the obvious schism between seashells and born shells, which most, most shells descend from, there are only minor goldy and fancy differences. The differences can fall in one of the following categories. Syntax addition, grammar changes in the language, built-in comments, or customizability, scriptability, flexibility, or interactivity, user-friendliness, or exotic features. A new shell may be lighter, faster to process scripts, have new additions to the language, be based on born or on C shells or on something else, added new customizability, great interactivity with the user, prefetched directories, save up memory, etc, etc. That's the sort of differences we're talking about. Let's go over some shell very common shell names without giving details. You can find the details in a Wikipedia article that I will link in the show notes and this article compares all the features of those shells. So you have the Thompson shell aka the V6 shell, Born shell, POSIX shell, CSH, TCSH, Corn shell, ASH, Bash, ZSH, Fish. 
Those are probably the most popular ones, but there are other cool exotic shells that need to be mentioned, like the scheme shell that takes a completely different approach on the syntax and uses a scheme-like one. There's the Pi shell, who does the, the same thing, but with a Pythonish syntax. There's the BusyBox, which incorporates the most common commands inside the shell itself, making it a mini environment by itself. There's the directed graph shell who can execute comments in parallel and aggregate results later, etc, etc. But don't think about those differences as one decision action. You don't have to settle for a single shell. You can use different shells for different situations. You don't have to limit yourself. For different accounts on your system, you may use different shells. For instance, the root account may use the POSIX shell and the user shell might be CSH. You call the shell that executes for the certain user, the one specified in the slash etc slash password, you call it the login shell. In sum, it's the first process that executes when you log in with that user for an interactive session. Any shell started after login is not a login shell. The shell can act differently when it's called as a login shell. It knows that because by default it gets past the argument zero with a dash prepended. For instance, the shell may implement an initialization of environment variables only when it's called as a login shell. And many shells do that. Special login shells can be used for special users. Other than that, there are a bunch of questions you can ask yourself to decide on the shells you want to choose, courtesy of an article that I linked in the show notes. Let's go through them. How much time do I have to learn a new shell? What do I wish to be able to do with my new shell? Do I have to be able to switch back to a different shell? How much extra load can the system cope with? What support is given for my new shell? What shell am I using already? Can I afford any minor bugs? Do you need to be able to use more than one shell? What shell features do I want? But anyway, always remember that you can have many shells on one system. Unix is customizable and leave you with many options to choose from. We covered a bit of why, now let's go into the how. How do we change this shell? It's simple, you first ins install the shell you want, or if it's already installed, you don't have to install it. The shell will be li listed in the slash etc slash shells file. That's a file that lists all the valid shells on your system. You then execute chsh when you are logged in with the user you want to change this shell, or you pass the argument to chsh, the name of the user you want to change this shell. or if you want to do it manually, you can force uh, changing the shell, the login shell of a user, by editing the slash etc slash password file. But a word of warning here, if the shell isn't valid, you won't be able to log in with the user anymore. What are the nifty cool stuff that can be added on sugar top of the cake for a better workflow with the shell? You can add aliases, making an alias for a comment. For example, you can alias dot to cd dot dot slash, which is super common. You can add plugins, extension. You can uh, autoload scripts for directly executing them, executing them as you need to. You can edit the environment variables. You can change the appearance style of the prompt. Uh, 
you can make it look fancy or you can change the prompt to morph with the state of the system. You can modify shell specific features. For example, let's go into some cool features related to interactivity. Completion, common history, automatic suggestion, history, stack, implicit directory change, autocorrection, snippets, value prompt, some menu selector, progress bar, syntax highlight, and there could be new programming features. There could be pa specific pattern matching. There could be security features like a secure prompt, executed permission, etc., etc. But remember, the shell is your environment and you want it to make it fit to your likings. Or you want to make it fit to your needs. And that's the important part. talked about all those shells so which one are the default on some of the popular Unix based systems. The recent Mac OS uses Bash as their default shell. Many Linux distributions use Bash as their default shell too and slash bin slash sh also may be a symlink to Bash. Corn shell is the default on OpenBSD but it's a fork of the public corn shell and not the original one. FreeBSD uses uses DCSH as the default root shell and the born shell compatible SH as the default user shell. The proprietary Unixes follow the POSIX compliance and all use a subset of the corn shell. So they are from the born family. TCSH is also the default root shell on Dragonfly BSD and Desktop BSD and a derivative of the ASH shell which is born based or installed as the default user shell on NetBSD, Dragonfly BSD, Minix and Android and some even Linux distribution. That is the generic overview of the current situation among Unix-like systems. Linux, the proprietary Unixes and for normal users on BSDs, people prefer to use the born descendants. While the C shell is still used as the default a shell for the root users on some BSD descendants. All of this for more or less historical purpose. So that's it folks, you should definitely try out new shells. There's nothing stopping you, the choice is yours, don't limit yourself. Your interface is your interface, it's a way of interfacing with the machine and it can suit your need to be more efficient. So be sure to check the references, the show notes and the transcript of the podcast for more information about this. And on a side note, we started the newsletter at nixers.net and you can sign, to, you can sign up for it at nixers.net slash newsletter. We share like 10 interesting links every week on Saturday or Sunday morning. So be sure to sign up for that. And I've been lagging to publish an episode of this podcast because I was trying to get in contact with many uh, technical people for a podcast-like interview thing. But it turns out that it takes quite a bit of a long time to get in touch with people. So I'll keep it as a monologue for now. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed the shells and it was Vinam for the Nixers podcast. <laughs>